0: 5,
1: 4, 3, 2, 1. Welcome to Out of Left Field with Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. For the next hour, it's all college football. And it's brought to you by Farm Bureau, Go With the Home Team, Country
2: Police and Sausage, and Cannon Ford of Starkville. Nobody beats a cannon deal. Nobody. And now. Here are your hosts, Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. And welcome to Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory along with Charlie Winfield. It's turned into an off week this week. We were not prepared for that at all. State coming off a 24-17 win against Vanderbilt. Charlie, we got together on Sunday for our Sunday coffee to talk about the Vanderbilt game and kind of recap that for you. But after stewing for a couple of days and kind of looking back at that game, Anything else that jumps out at you as far as how State played? I, I keep going back to the point to not make any excuses at all, but you wonder if you'd have played anybody else, would you have really played that game if you're Mississippi State because the roster was so depleted.
1: That's the one of the big takeaways for me from that game. So we got together on Sunday, and the first thing we did, because it just didn't feel right in terms of the guys that you saw out there, it didn't look right in terms of warmups. You knew some places that you were depleted, but the first thing you do is you pull out that participation chart and you see that you've played like 43 guys on a team that's normally playing in the mid-50s. And all of a sudden you start thinking, man, if that's all we got out on the field, how close were we to not playing this ball game? Didn't you kind of have a feeling that this week may be headed in the wrong direction?
2: Yeah, you kind of got the feeling that if you had anything to add to that, it would really put this game in jeopardy. Going back and looking at the game, looking at Will Rogers' stats, and of course the the stats for Mike Leach' quarterback, the the completion percentage is always going to be high, and we had some very good drives early in the game, mixed it up well, but we had some dry spots there. Will Rogers, at the times in so many times we think of quarterbacks in the in the league, Now one of the things we haven't had in a long time is a freshman quarterback. You know, Wesley Carroll was a freshman quarterback in two thousand seven. And what did he do at that time? He managed the game. And we had a a different style of offense, a slowed down offense, and of course a very slowed down offense, but a, and a really good defense as well. But we asked him to manage the game. I look at you know some of these freshman quarterbacks that, that Georgia has had over the past several years. They were asked to manage the game. This is a situation in an offense where it's hard to quote-unquote manage the game when you're throwing the ball that many times.
1: Oh, it absolutely is. And But it's still important, I think, to be able to understand what you're asking Rodgers to do, because even if you want him to be more than a game manager, you're not going to come out realistically and start just throwing it all over the place, at least in terms of what I'll call the aggressive downfield throws. These short throws in the Mike Leach offense are basically running plays. They're not designed to stretch the defense or anything like that. And, you know, I wonder, and a coach would have to tell me this, I wonder to what degree, when you've got that lead at halftime, did our coaches say, all right, we're not going to put this kid in a position to lose this game for us. We're going to dumb it down a little bit. We're going to slow it down a little bit. Now, didn't work in, if you're looking at terms of putting up big numbers, but you got out of there with a win.
2: You know, I mentioned Wesley Carroll a moment ago, and you look back and even that Central Florida win in the bowl game that year in 2007, and you kind of wonder, you know, Looking back, and I know the game has changed. The game has completely changed in the last 15 years. But the numbers that you're putting up right now, I know we scored 17. And this offense has had its difficulties, no doubt. But, man, you look back at even Dan Mullen, of course, Sylvester Croom, Jackie Sherrill. There were some situations there. I think when you look at stats and overall picture, There was some stat padding going on in some non-conference games that made you feel a little bit better about your offense back then.
1: Absolutely. How bad does this team need a non-conference game? How bad does this team need to have played New Mexico State or somebody to feel better about where they were? You know, if you go back and look at Dan Mullen's first few years, there were some non-conference games. You put up some big numbers. I thought it was interesting. I went back and looked in Dan Mullen's first three seasons. Let's cut it off right where we are now six games into the SEC schedule, okay? So I'm throwing out the non-conference games. Here's, right now, Mississippi State averaging just under 17 points a game. Here's where you were. 2009, 19.5. 2010, under 15, 14.8. 2011, 16.1. Two out of three Dan Mullen's first seasons. His average points per game in SEC games less than, than what Mississippi State is scoring right now. Now, I get it. You can say the LSU game threw things off, but Dan had some games in the league where he scored, put up some big numbers too. But you felt better about where you were. So think about that. The team that goes to the Gator Bowl or whatever we were calling it at the time and beats Michigan, goes 9-4. and four, That team was averaging, you know, less than 15 points a game in SEC play. They just happened to win some of those.
2: Hey, you remember the Florida game? You know, we go down there and win. What ten to seven? They missed the field goal at the end. What did we do? We we threw one pass in the second half. <laughs> yes. Chris Ralph. I mean, we threw one you pass. Talk about limited offense. Well, and a lack of balance. Well, and we just—it was just a different. It was a different time back then. I mean, it's not like here, here's the thing. I mean, when you play forty-three guys on Saturday, uh, this isn't the NFL. I mean, you kind of are what you are right now. I mean, you got to fight your way through it. We don't there's have no the, waiver wire. No, there's no. There's no waiver wire. And we talked uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago about the roster getting imbalanced a little bit by that big junior college class a few years ago. When you it, love
1: some junior college guys right now?
2: Oh. <laughs> hey, if you could take a junior college guy right now, this is kind of off the script. Okay. If you could take a junior college guy right now that has come to Mississippi State, ever, okay, and plug him onto this year's team. I mean, you look at you look at the offense, is it is it man, we've had some really good junior college guys. I think on the defensive line, of course, not the guys from Arizona, but I'm talking about some really good <laughs> defensive linemen. Smoot, yeah, you know, Darius Slade. Blade,
1: Galladay, those guys. Chris White. I mean, you had a lot of junior Pernell Pernell McPhee. I mean right. so I, I would argue that our most significant players that we have had come from junior college have been defensive players. Yeah. Ashley Cooper, you think of some of those guys, Eric Brown. But we need help on offense. Robert Bean. Oh, boy. Yeah, but we need help on offense. Okay. And even though I could make my defense significantly better with any one of those guys, I think I've got to look on the offensive side. You know who I'm going to take? I'm going to take Kevin Prentice. Kevin Prentice, 1998, the guy that ran the punt back. Game changer? Yeah, and he could – we'll have to ask Wyatt about Kevin Prentice someday.
2: Could you imagine Kevin Prentice in the slot? Oh, my goodness. In a, in a air raid offense. I saw Kevin Prentice play in junior college when he was at Hines. And, of course, they were beating a dog out of East Central to, at Hines one night. And Kevin Prentice, I mean, you look out on the field and you just know you, know. you broadcast a lot of high school games and you've been around junior college football a lot. When the guys that are stars are on those fields, you know. They look different. Kevin Prentice was not that big, stronger guy, but you knew. That guy was different think blocking instead. Well, I was going to say, you know, Kelvin Love. I mean, here's the thing I liked about Kelvin Love. He came here as a quarterback. We talked about Kelvin last week. I think yeah, it was last week. Kevin
1: Cooper maybe came in with him.
2: Yeah, I think he so. He was a receiver. But the thing about Kelvin Love, he was a home run threat. You could he he won the 50-50 ball. How many yards did Dwayne Mackin get in his passing career of just throwing the ball up and letting Kelvin Love go get it? A Leon Barry, you remember Leon Barry? I mean, yeah. Leon was a solid wide receiver for Dan Mullen early on. I mean, that's the thing about the offense is where do you go? I mean, is it a is it a blocker? I mean, is it a Martinez Rankin from a few years ago? Is it a, a Randy – oh, there's the guy. Randy yeah. Thomas. Randy Thomas played 11 <laughs> years in the, in the NFL.
1: My memory of that 1998 team will be J.J. Johnson running the football. There's another guy. And – Randy Thomas is a pulling guard out, just throwing people to the ground to create room for him. You know, J.J. Johnson, probably one of my favorite all time Juco transfers. He and Ashley Cooper. The, the problem is he just doesn't fit what we're trying to do.
2: No, I go back to Randy Thomas, Martinez Rankin, uh, some of those guys on the offensive line. Hey, let's not, let's not outthink the room. Let's not out. The, sometimes, no. some, sometimes we outthink the room. Jackie Parker. It's got to be Jackie Parker. I mean, there's a guy who, for for a lot of the, the older generation, will tell you the best player to ever play at Mississippi State. You know, he's on the ring. Better than
1: Shorty? Oh. Huh? Huh? You know, Shorty McWilliams was, what, first team all-conference the entire time he was here? But, I mean, Jackie Parker was renowned
2: as one of the top players ever in the CFL. I mean, it was a bargaining game between Jackie Parker going to the CFL and the New York Giants. I mean, the New York Giants wanted him so bad. That was back when the the CFL was a really big deal. Mm -hmm. And he was one of the greatest players ever in the CFL.
1: So you know what would be fun to do? particularly if we get too many more of these games that don't get played. You know, in in our baseball show, we were able to go back and talk to guys about history. It would be fun just to go through the ring of honor. Oh, yeah. And to start talking about those guys because, you know, if you get into the old-timers and you start talking about Jackie Parker, you hear great stories. If you start talking about Shorty McWilliams.
2: Ken Hull. I mean, we're talking about guys that, you you know, know.
1: Hull, you know, ended up. Hull, you know, went to the USFL. Yeah. Right. Played for the New Jersey Generals with Herschel Walker, Walker. Doug and, Flutie. And then ends up, you know, obviously with that great run with the Bills, but you know, one of the great offensive linemen of all time.
2: Kent used to have that golf tournament every year in Tunica. It was the greatest thing ever, man. I'm telling you, it was awesome. All those guys would come back and you would see just how revered he was in those Bills teams. I I, I, prom- I was walking through. Then you had it to Samstown Casino. Okay. And then the, everybody played golf on Monday. You had the the event on Sunday night, and you played golf on Monday. And I was walking through the casino on a Sunday night with Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas,
1: Cornelius Bennett, and John Bond. <laughs> Have we not mentioned Montez Sweat? He's on the defensive side. I mean, you talk about guys who are just dominant players.
2: Yeah, but he was a defensive guy. We said a minute ago, we we, we could go... We're going to
1: go offense, but... We could go defensive guys. (laughs) Imagine right now if, you know, in baseball, we had our draft of players who didn't make the NFL, or excuse me, the Major League Baseball. What if we just tried to build the all-time Mississippi State team of JUCO players? Your defense... I'd play anybody. I wouldn't take a backseat to anybody.
2: I'd play our junior college team against anybody in America's junior college team. Can can you imagine State versus Kansas State and just JUCO guys?
1: Oh, my gosh. I mean, that defense, (laughs) we wouldn't get scored on.
2: In fact, we'd hurt a lot of people. Charlie, we're not going to have a a lot to talk about in the show because we've got a big show coming up. When we come back, we'll talk to Jim Gallagher. Jim Gallagher, of course, five-time winner on the PGA Tour. An analyst for the
1: Golf Network for the Golf Channel, and you know Gallagher was on that '93 Ryder Cup team. He went two and one. He beat Seve Ballesteros three and two, and that was the last time I believe that the U.S. retained the cup on European soil.
2: That is correct. That is correct. Back when man,
1: Ian Woosnam, you had
2: Ian Woosnam, you had uh, Seve Ballesteros. That was probably the biggest. Watson
1: captain of that team. I think Watson was captain in '93. May have been. But anyway, we'll talk to Jim Gallagher,
2: lives in Greenwood, Mississippi, but a great, great ambassador for the game of golf in the state of Mississippi. And, of course, it's Masters week, and we'll get his thoughts on previewing this week's Masters, which begins today at Augusta National. And then we'll talk
1: to – tradition unlike any other.
2: Hey, I was listening to the ticket last week, and they were talking about Jim Nance. And they were, they were making fun of Jim Nance. They were just taking clips about things that he would say. And just where did he come up with them? Was he sitting in the bathroom? Was he sitting at his desk? Where was he coming up with all these
1: great clips? See, so Jim Nance actually has a wine called The Calling. Oh. And he's God. got this terrible story about how after the Masters, he likes to walk the course with a glass of The Calling and just to soak up the many memories can you find a, a smarmier guy than Jim Nance, by the way? Oh, that's unfair.
2: After that, we'll we'll talk to Jamar Chaney, who's back on campus now, is a great uh, linebacker in the NFL and at Mississippi State and, of course, played for Sylvester Croom and Dan Mullen. And uh, we'll take a look at the at the off week. We, didn't th- we thought we were going to be talking about the Auburn Tigers, but not. But anyway, we're brought to you by Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. Check them out at favorites.com. Henry Hamill and the guys, they have agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. And I tell you what, they, they do a tremendous job, not only with their rates, but with their service. So go with the home team at Farm Bureau. When we come back, we'll talk to the five time winner on the PGA Tour. He lives in Greenwood, Mississippi, Jim Gallagher Jr., up next on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. Time now for our guest line segment, brought to you each week by Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing, located on Highway 49 down in Florence. I got a text message from Stephen Foshi in the Bulldog Club just last night, and he says, hey, I've got uh, a big old cooler full. I'm bringing back to Starkville. So I, I know I'm going to go over there to Stephen's house and try to steal his uh, steal his Country Pleasing like I stole yours, Charlie, a
1: couple of weeks well, ago. And your friend Eric Cook called. He wants to know the secret password. He's going today. Is he really? Yeah, and he wanted to know what's the magic word so I get some of that special sausage back there.
2: Yeah, country pleasing sausage. They've got the storefront there, the butcher shop. I think they've got those crab stuffed pork chops. Anything you can imagine to put on the grill. Hey, you've got a weekend off in football this weekend. Don't have to worry about coming to Starwell. So. Go by and uh, get anything you want at Country Pleasing Sausage and enjoy a weekend in the backyard. And uh, this Guest Line segment brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. And let's go to the phones. We're a five-time winner on the PGA Tour. He lives in Greenwood, Mississippi. Played on the 1993 Ryder Cup team. He's been a part of the President's Cups as well. He's played in a good many of these Masters that are going on this week. And Jim Gallagher joins us now. And, Jim, you know, looking back at playing at Augusta, and there are so many people that talk about you know the first time they go to Augusta as a patron, but as a player, you know, looking back for the first time that you drove down Magnolia Lane, was it a situation of "Hey, I've earned this. This is awesome," or was it "I can't believe I am driving down Magnolia Lane"? What was that first experience like at Augusta National?
0: You know, what was crazy. Is I was hosting inside the PGA Tour, so I was mic'd up. And so I really didn't get to experience, you know, Sissy and I driving up by ourselves and just taking it all in because I was mic'd up, camera on me and everything, which was kind of cool to do that. You know, but back then, guys didn't really go play early. Uh, I wish I would have gone in and played some practice rounds before that to kind of get to, to know it. But, you know, when you walk in there, it's it's pretty overwhelming. You go check in. But it's when you leave the practice area and you walk out there to the clubhouse and you get there at the putting green and you look out and you're going like, Oh my gosh, if heaven looks like this, bring me home, Lord. You know, it's just an amazing sight. And actually I led, uh, the first, after the first round of my first one and, uh, it was such a cool experience. I remember my father-in-law and my mother-in-law were driving over. And of course, back then we didn't have cell phones. I think he may have a phone in his truck or something, but they'd heard that I was leading and they were just shocked, I guess, like everybody else. Uh, you know, your first time over, you just don't expect that. So we just had a wonderful week. Uh, I met Coach Roly Massimino, who was uh, friends with my wife, and, and he was out there every single day, and we had a ritual. I know I'm getting kind of off your, your, your uh, oh. the, the question, but he, he, he would sit on the top row, and then he would walk down after I hit balls. He'd shake my hand and wish me good luck. He did this every day, uh, and it was just kind of our little ritual, and I'll never forget walking up 17 the last day, and I'm kind of I'm right on the borderline of being exempt the next year for that top 20 or 24. Where it, and uh, I said, coach, man, I am so nervous. I can't even see straight. He goes, son, you can't get hit by a car unless you play in the street. And I had to think for a second, I'm going like, you're right, coach. And so I par the last two holes and I get exempt coming in there. But uh, the, I think I top 20 or somewhere in there, but it was such an amazing week. I went out and played the par three course every day up to Thursday instead of hitting balls. Cause I just, I wanted to take every moment in because I didn't know if I'd ever go back. And for people who say, you know, when you're an amateur, like Andy Ogletree from Mississippi, you know, those guys get to play. You've got to play because you don't, you're not guaranteed you'll ever get back, even when you become a pro. So you got to take it all in, and I did, and it was a wonderful, wonderful week, uh, one I'll always remember.
1: We think about the Masters and the galleries, and, of course, in your career, that very successful Ryder Cup in 1993. And we know what the crowds can be like at the Ryder Cup. I'm curious, it's going to be a different type of gallery at the Masters this year. How does that impact you as a player to go from kind of a a louder, more active environment to a quieter environment? And do you think that helps maybe some of these first-timers, some of these guys looking for a a first-time major win kind of make a breakthrough?
0: I think that's a great question. I think they're used to playing, uh, not in front of, of course, last week in Houston, they had a couple thousand. I think in Bermuda, they had a few. But I think for Augusta, that's what makes Augusta is the roar of the crowds, the, the patrons and all the people out there. It's just, you know, you hear all that, you know, rumbling through the trees when you get around Amen Corner. And but for these first timers, they're not going to have that same sensation. And the golf course is going to play and look completely different. And, and the forecast looks like a lot of rain. So, yeah, it's Augusta National, but it's not Augusta in April. So I think it could help somebody who hasn't been there. In the golf course, you know, the guys usually in the, in the past, the guys that have played there have that big advantage because they know all the subtleties. The greens aren't going to change. They're all going to be the same. But just the way the golf course is going to play, I've, I've heard from folks who've been around there. There's a lot more Bermuda because the overseed hadn't come in. That'll change the way guys chip uh, and hit shots off the fairways. So I, I think it's a completely different golf course. So the guys, maybe longtime players, may not have the advantage of some of the young guys. But I think without the patrons and everything, Um, it's definitely going to be different. I I think for players, they live off that energy, at least I did, when the crowd and the fans got into it. Uh, And and those are the things I think they've had to get adjusted to. I think, you know, as we go forward, when they start getting fans back in sometime next year, that's going to be an adjustment for a lot of people too. Talking
2: to Jim Gallagher, five-time winner on the PGA Tour, and, does some work with the, the Golf Channel as well as an analyst. And going back to, Jim, what you were talking about, about the course playing different this year, you know, it started about 20 years ago with them lengthening so many holes. They were quote-unquote tiger-proofing Augusta National. And guys, like you said, that go over there and they understand, hey, this is going to be a seven iron here. It's going to be a, a, a wedge here. And now all of a sudden, with the, the course playing a lot longer, the greens at Augusta – you know, are much talked about how fast they are. And the thing about the Masters compared to the U.S. Open, the pin placements are not as crazy and stupid. But you still got guys who are going to be hitting a lot, you know, a lot longer second shots in the greens this week. I mean, how does that play into the factor of it's going to be different angles you got to play with in the fairway and the the long shots in the green? How is that going to affect people?
0: I think it's going to definitely favor the long hitter more than ever. Of course, long hitters have always had an advantage. We all know that. There's big talk of are they hitting it too far and all that, but you know, I'm not a big fan of wanting to to make the ball go shorter. I wouldn't mind putting more dimples to make it go more sideways. Uh, These guys, the, the technology and their ability to figure out things are amazing, and I think that's the talk of DeChambeau. Is he going to come over and and dominate. We've heard of all the short clubs he's hit in there, so definitely an advantage, but as you said, the greens are such that you've got to get it on the right section of the green, no matter how short an iron. Big advantage to have that with a short iron, but I think your long hitters, I mean, Rory is under the radar. Uh, Brooks Koepka had a good finish on the weekend. He's a little more under it. DJ, for the first time in a long time, he's kind of under the radar. Everybody's talking about DeChambeau. Uh, I think uh, Xander Shoffley will be a guy to watch out for in justin thomas but i think the long hitters will definitely have an advantage but you still got to get it on the proper side of the hole and you still got to make the putts uh and and the par fives for the long hitters will be where where they'll take advantage of it for sure
1: first two majors of the year we've got two guys that have won their first dechambeau won, colin maracalla won earlier in the year as well who is out there that may be that guy to sneak up and win their first major this week
0: I think Xander Shoffley. I think he's definitely, he's been knocking on the door. He may not be playing as good as he had uh, and going into some of the other majors, but he is always in there in contention. Uh I think he's a guy that really, I mean, talk about under the radar, but he really isn't. Everybody knows who he is. He could be a guy that could get in there and get the first one. A lot of people talk about Matt Wolf, uh being a first time uh coming in there as a pro compared to like Fuzzy Zeller 41 years ago and winning. I don't know if Matt's quite ready for that yet, but uh, I think Xander Schauffele, as far as somebody who's been out there that will get his first one, he, this could be the week.
1: You know, Jim, you've gone, you were a highly successful player. Now you're kind of on the other side doing analyst work. And uh, I used to think that if I were a player, there were many times I would have wanted to track Johnny Miller down when the round was over to share a few views about mm-hmm. his commentary. How do you balance that experience of being the former player versus your role now as an analyst?
0: Yeah, that's a great question because I think when I first did it uh, in 2002 to six on USA Network, I was still playing some. I kind of quit playing at 40 years old. So I was in my early 40s and making that transition. And and I was still a player in my mind and still friends with a lot of those guys. And it was always difficult to kind of like, you know, I I still I would call myself then a player's announcer. Uh, I think now this second time around, which I've been very fortunate to be for the Golf Channel, I think it was year six. Is I just kind of I kind of keep it light. I want to keep it where, you know, you can't tell what's going through their minds. But you know, you've got to be critiquing, not criticizing. It's not about me; it's about them. Point out things that they do right. Point out things that maybe their weaknesses. Uh, so I think as time has gone on, and I'm not playing as much, uh, I think it's been a lot easier to do my job and critique them easier than when I was just barely off the tour or just you know, a couple of years away. That was difficult 2002 and six when you got one of your dear friends gets up there and, and, and makes a mental mistake, but you have to go ahead and say it. I think this time around it's been a lot easier, but I just kind of give it from the player's perspective, more of the mind. I don't break down golf swings like a lot of guys do. Yeah. There's times to do that, but it's more about the way they approach it, how they attack a golf course. And, and some of the things like that, that's kind of how I go with it. Uh, And I've enjoyed it. Uh, I I love doing everything. I I, kind of do a little bit of all. I do the LPGA, and they're a lot of fun to watch. Allie McDonald, Mississippi State girl, uh, and from Fulton, Mississippi. I was actually on the call those last three days, which was so cool because I've known her since she was you know, 10 or 11 years old, to see her win, get her first LPGA win. That was really cool for me to be part of that, a family friend. And, And that was hard because I couldn't act like I was cheering for her. Uh, and I asked my wife, sis, I said, Am I, did I sound like I was cheering for her? She goes, no, you did a pretty good job at disguising it. <laughs> but, you know, I just, you know, there's certain people that you kind of, you pull for them, uh, but you've got to be careful. You're not supposed to be the cheerleader out there. But when I do a few PGA Tour events, I, I got to get out there more to get to know these younger players. Uh, to try to, you know, they show themselves out on social media on Instagram and all that stuff. You, you get to see them more than maybe when we were playing. Uh, and there's still some guys that I, I kind of follow, but I do a little bit of that. And in the studio, uh, I enjoy too. I like post game because I get to talk about what I've seen. Uh, Pre game is a little tougher because you're kind of predicting, you're trying to find some trends here and there. And it's a lot more it's not my guesswork, but I, I, I enjoy the role of doing everything. It keeps me uh, kind of engaged in everything. The hard part is when I do get a month off, keeping up with every tour. That's the hardest part of, of, of doing my job.
2: Talking with Jim Gallagher, and you mentioned that point of pride of watching Allie McDonald, the Mississippi State alum, and how she played over the last couple of weeks. Thinking back over the last couple of years, you've been a very big ambassador for golf in the state of Mississippi for a long time now. And then what happened last year in the U.S. Amateur with – two Mississippi guys making it to the final four. What was that like? Because, I mean, I think of you, I think of, you know, a Glenn Day who has Popperville, you know, ties. You guys kind of were, were the two guys in the PGA Tour for so long. And now all of a sudden, younger golfers coming up. What's it mean to you for somebody who has carried the flag for this state for so long to see the up-and-comers coming up?
0: Uh, you know, we kind of planted the seed. My wife Sissy's is as much a part of that as anybody, especially with the, the young girls growing up, but to see those guys. And, of course, Cohen's like a son to me. BJ taught all my girls, Thomas, uh, and 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 I always wanted someone else to teach them because it was easier than them trying to think, here's Dad telling me what to do. And then Andy, I watched him play a lot growing up. He was closer to my daughter Kathleen's age. Uh, but to see that, that just shows you where we are in Mississippi. I mean, when I first moved here, oh, there were a couple, you know, Old Waverly was just being kind of started. There were a few good golf courses. I mean, he had the Country Club in were already there. But as time got on, we've got better instruction. We got kids interested playing, uh, and what VJ Trolio and Timmy Overton have done at Old Waverly, promoting it, and look at the kids that have come out of West Point. Man, their high school team at Oak Hill is phenomenal. Meridian was the hotbed for years, and that's all based on our club pros that are growing the game, you know, at that level. And and to see those two kids get in the final of uh, the USM or the Final Four was just um, phenomenal. Uh, and I couldn't have been more proud of them. And Andy, you know, I texted him and wished him good luck. And, and, and Cohen had such a cool week at a very young age. But we've got so many good young players. Uh, and I saw it with my daughter, Mary Langdon, and, and Allie, and, and a few of those girls growing up in Mississippi. You could see it from the girls' side starting to grow. And, and Margo Coleman did a great job with the Mississippi Junior Golf Association, growing that. But I think what you see is when you see kids like that, and, and Allie and Andy and Cohen, have that success, it pushes other kids to say, "Hey, I can be that kid too. I can be him." And I think that's the I think that's the biggest thing. Think about the people who've come out of Fulton, Mississippi, a uh, nine hole golf course. You got uh, Clay Holman, who, who coached at Mississippi State, great player, won multiple state amps. You got Chad Ramey. You got Allie. You got multiple people coming out of a little nine hole golf course, uh, and to get out on the national stage. So that's the cool part. We're seeing that grow, and I think it's a it's a case of we've got better golf courses, better instruction and we've got an interest, and we got to keep riding the wave while we can.
1: You mentioned Clay Holman. By the way, he was the guest, I think, this week on your podcast, Only One he, Shot Golf, uh, which, by was. the way, my friends swear by. Uh, you've got a lot of fans on your podcast. How has it been getting a chance to visit with so many golf professionals and to talk about the development of the game through that venue?
0: It's been really cool. I had Hal Sutton on two weeks ago, and to hear the advice and him be so honest, And for people out there listening, that's one you have to go listen to because he talks about being on your own personal journey. And we're seeing Jordan Spieth fight that a little bit. Uh, You know, all the expectations that everybody has on him because, boy, what what he had that year or two going on was phenomenal. He had a career in two or three years, and now he's struggling. So it's got to be your own personal journey. Uh, You've got to take hold of it. You can't worry about other people's expectations. I think that was fun having Hal on there. Talking about him, when he got out there, he was the best amateur in the in the world, won a, a PGA, won multiple tournaments, all of a sudden he's being compared to Jack Nicklaus. And he said, you can't compare me to Jack Nicholas. I can't be Jack Nicholas. And I think he felt those pressures. And, and he talked about when he quit playing and, and why he quit playing. And, and I've had people like that, Dottie Pepper, who great announcer, Judy Rankin, a World Hall, Hall of Famer. And I've had a lot of coaches. I've had a lot of players. I want to get the word out to the juniors and the, and the coaches and the kids out there that, like, how do you got how do you get ready how do you find out about the college procedure how do you find out how do you get coaches to watch uh, to watch you or, or get interested in you what do you go what's the process you go through to get to college How do you approach you know getting kids started uh, so we've had a variety of people like that it, It's not that we're trying to reach millions of people. We just want to get the word out or I want to get the word out to the kids and the college kids and the coaches that they have a forum to talk about and and show what they can do and, and see how they find interest.'s been interesting listening to coaches. And everybody, the, the main thing is, how do you separate elite from average? Uh, and, and those are the, that's a question I always ask. And I get a lot of different answers, but it's basically that inner drive, that will to be great, uh, putting everything aside to be the best. And, and, and that's kind of a common answer to it. And, you know, you ask them what they're most proud of. It's always cool to hear what that is. So I've enjoyed that part of it. Uh, I'm getting better at it. i got to learn how to promote it a little bit better. i got to get the kids involved a little bit more in that uh, at 59 i'm not quite as uh savvy as they are with that but it's getting better and and getting on with you guys helps and 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 just i just get the word out because i think it's we've had some great guests i've enjoyed the heck out of it it's actually helped my golf uh when i did get the interview a couple tournaments i was out there it helped me get back into the groove of uh, when when you ask a question and you're doing live golf or even on a podcast whatever you ask the question but you've got to listen to the answer you can have a second question or a third question but you might get one out of that answer. And so that's one of the things I think it's really helped me uh, for my golf uh, channel work is, is doing that podcast.
2: Absolutely. Uh, we listened to it. I listened to the Hal Sutton one uh, yesterday, and so it, it was great. The only one-shot podcast, we've been talking to Jim Gallagher, lives in Greenwood, Mississippi, had a great career now as a golf analyst. And, hey, we appreciate you hanging out with us here on the Week of the Masters.
0: All right, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's going to be fun to watch it. Just hope the rain stays away.
2: And as Jim Gallagher with the Golf Channel, and that interview brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. And when we come back, we'll talk to Jamar Chaney, senior defensive analyst for Mississippi State on the football staff, played in the NFL, and a former Bulldog playing here for Sylvester Croom and Dan Mullen. Back with more on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau, Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. And we're joined now by former Mississippi State linebacker, former linebacker in the NFL, and now defensive analyst, senior defensive analyst for Mississippi State football, Jamar Cheney. Back on campus, it's always great to have you back. And boy, Jamar, I tell you what, man, it's it's amazing to see how you kind of carried the banner for Mississippi State when when you played here. And then you went to the NFL. Then you were a high school coach, and I mean, it seems like you you genuinely care about Mississippi State. And I look back now to your high school career and how you ended up coming to Mississippi State to play for Sylvester Croom. You know what kind of what kind of led you to start? Well,
3: you know, back in the Mid 2000s. You know, Sylvester Crew was a big part of that, but you know, I originally committed and signed with the University of Georgia. When I came to Mississippi State, I think the thing that stuck out just was the people here, you know, the coaching staff, and uh, especially like the players and getting to know them while I was on my visit. That is what, you know, attracted me to, uh, to want to come here, just the people that you was going to be around on a pretty much day to day basis.
1: Jamar, when you were here, you played a lot as a freshman. You played in 11 games that year, and He played a ton as a sophomore. I wonder now that you're on the other side in the coaching staff and you're talking to these young guys, you know, there's a lot of freshmen, a lot of young guys out there kind of having to learn on the fly. How does your experience of playing as a young player help you relate to those guys and make them see that kind of better days are ahead?
3: So tell them to keep grinding. You know, as a, you know, you come in from high school, you, it's your first time being away from home. And uh, so just tell them to keep working, keep grinding. I mean, whatever your dream and goal is, sometimes, you know, you might have a little delay or a little adversity might hit, but just keep pushing, keep grinding. And uh, eventually it, it, it'll happen for you. But the, the main thing is just to, you know, keep pushing, not to give up, not get too down on yourself or things like that. To continue to come to practice every day, continue to come with a positive attitude to get better. And I think things will work out for you. I mean, that's how... That's kind of was my mindset coming in as a freshman, just make, make sure, you know, I had dreams and goals that I wanted to accomplish while I was in college. So had to always keep an eye on those things, especially in those adverse times.
2: Yeah, it's amazing coming in as an 18-year-old kid. Sometimes you don't understand from the middle standpoint of, of how you, you do have to be on somewhat of an elite status every single day. One of the things that stands out to me, Jamar, we're talking to Jamar Cheney, senior defensive analyst for Mississippi State, played here, of course, at Mississippi State through 2009 and then on in the NFL. But you've kind of been in that era that's seen a lot of change in college football and in football in general. I mean, when you played, teams were lining up more in the eye and kind of coming at you. And now everybody's spreading the field. What's it like being a linebacker now compared to when it was when you played? What are the differences that you have to teach these guys to look for now that you didn't have to look at when you played here?
3: I think the main thing, you know, is, uh you know, a linebacker now, you look for, I mean, more athletic guys. I mean, they kind of don't lost uh, the traditional Mike linebacker, you know, the downhill guy and things. They look for uh speed. But teams nowadays, I mean, they, you know, with them spreading you out, they spread you out to get the matchup they want, you know, uh and a lot of times, I mean, they try to attack the linebackers. So if you don't have, you know, athletic linebackers the guys that can, you know, can cover or tackle in space or things like that, they just try to, you know, get those matchups to expose you a little bit. So, I mean, it's just trying to teach these guys what, what to expect. I mean, because if you know how teams gonna attack you, you know your weaknesses, to me you can kind of try to help build and make those things strengths. The things you're not, you know, that good at as a linebacker as if you're not good at covering or you struggle a little bit doing this or that you kind of try to work on those things and make sure, you know, in this league, in the SEC, I mean, the offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators or whoever get paid a lot of money to expose those type of things. So, you just want to keep building, keep building, keep building. Uh, things like that. But you're right, it's, it's way different. I mean, uh, it, it kind of was changing a little bit. I guess once Mullen came in as the coach, he kind of spread it out a little bit. But, uh, you know, back in the day, that playing against Bama, Auburn, they was leading ISOs, power, and all that. Three tight ends, two tight ends. You don't see a fullback too often these days.
1: You know, watching you from afar, it seemed like when you were here in the time you were in the pros, you kind of had a plan for your life after being a player in football so many times we're around pro athletes with their career is over it's like they don't really know what's next or where they're supposed to go you got into coaching I'm wondering was that your plan all along to try to get back into the coaching business
3: I tried to put two and two together I always knew once I done playing I was going to get into coaching and you know what my calling was as far as you know after I was done playing I just figured I loved football so much and then I love helping people out, too. So just put two and two together. I mean, I want to be a coach. I want to try to help out the guys that's coming up after me, especially our, our youth, our young men, you know. I try to help mold, you know, them to be not only good football players, but, you know, good husbands, good fathers, some of their community leaders and things like that. So that's – I always knew I wanted to be a coach. I always knew I would to come back, you know, and serve you know, our youth and try to, you know, teach them some of the things that I was taught as growing up and things that I think can help you out as you, you know, get out there in the real world, out there, you know, living a you know, life on your own and raising a family and things like that. You know, one of
2: the things I don't think a lot of people realize is a lot of NFL teams, they have these coaching fellowships that they try to allow guys that want to get out of the sport to, to get into coaching. I mean, you did one of those fellowships with the Chiefs. How was that – instrumental in kind of preparing you to jump into the coaching world?
3: Yeah, I actually just recently did that. That was right, like, when once I got the job at Mississippi State, uh, Coach them let me still go because I had got accepted into the fellowship, and then they let, actually let me go up there a couple weeks. So it was great. I mean, I got a chance to learn from great coaches. I paid for Andy Reid, so that's my connection into getting that uh, fellowship. Just learning from him, learning from Coach Spagnuolo, who is a head coach and one of the best defensive coordinators in the uh, NFL right now uh and all the other position coaches they got airbn who will who will be a head coach uh soon probably uh just all those guys just learning from them and uh just seeing the day to day grind, you know of them i mean the super Bowl champions was a great experience. I learned a lot, and uh yeah, it just helped me i just wanna as a coach, you know i just wanna continue you know to learn you know as much as i can just for you know when I get the opportunity to be on the field position coach you know, eventually, you know, to be a defense coordinator down in the future, those things. So just trying to learn as much as I can um, going through this process.
1: One of the things that's been talked about here at Mississippi State is the change in defensive approach. Zach Garnett comes in as defensive coordinator and kind of got a brand-new look defensively. How have you enjoyed getting into the – kind of that new system, and how does it fit your likes as a coach?
3: Oh, it's great. I mean, I uh, I really didn't know too much. About the system, all of what I heard read on, you know, online and things like that before I got here. But being in it and actually, you know, being in the means going through the installations, seeing how it's working, uh, seeing how Coach on Net coaches it, man, it's, it's a great system. I mean, it's a system that I would look into running actually myself whenever I get an opportunity, you know, to, um, to be a defense coordinator down the future. But it's a great system. I'm all about, you know, attacking and. And movement and, and and you know exotic looks and I mean he he does a great job with that he does a great job of game planning trying to find the other teams' weakness you know in pass protection and things like that and it's and it's kind of hard to, it's unique these and it's kind of hard to game plan because it's you don't see it every week you know with the things that we do especially in the front seven things so I mean I'm I'm still learning the course I just got here so I mean he's been pretty much you know uh, for a long time now but trying to pick his brain and learn as much as I can from him and he's a a great young mind is uh. This profession, and I mean, it's a big thing in store from him, and I'm just trying to soak up everything I can, you know, uh, from him, you know, on a day to day basis.
2: Jamar, appreciate you joining us, man. I know you guys are always busy during the week. Appreciate you taking a few minutes of your time to, to talk with us.
3: No problem, man. Anytime. Hell, state.
2: And that's Jamar Chaney, senior defensive analyst for Mississippi State. And Charlie, I don't think we fully really appreciate the job that Jamar Chaney did. I mean, he's a guy that came in late under Sylvester Croom, was uh, injured in that first game against Louisiana Tech. I'll never forget that sick feeling on top of the hill down in Ruston. You're about to lose a game, one, but two, your defensive leader goes down with a broken ankle, but then uh, comes back, plays for Dan Mullen in that one year, goes to the NFL, had a successful career with uh, with the Eagles, played three years with the Eagles and was very good on those teams. But, Man, i tell you what, Jamar has, has been a great ambassador for Mississippi State. When he played here, then we went to the league, and then he went back to his high school in, in Florida, was a head coach down there. But i tell you what, uh, he's one of those guys that was just a really good, solid player.
1: I think the thing that's always been interesting to me about Jamar Chaney is how another SEC coach had a player that he couldn't take, that he really liked, and he was willing to pick up the phone and call another coach in the league and say, hey, I got a guy for you. And not only was a guy, it was a guy who made a difference. I think it says a lot about Mark Rick, who, look, had his ups and downs as a coach, but just a good dude. He really was.
2: Mark Rick calling Sylvester Kroom and saying, hey, I've got a guy. If you've got a spot, I've got a guy. And turned out to be a really good one. And that conversation brought to you by Cannon Ford of Starkville. Cannon Ford, if you're in the market for a new or used car, go by and check them out. Talk to Chris Keen and the gang. Ask for the Barton Charlie discount. I'm, I'm sure it'll, it'll knock a lot off the price. But if you need your oil change, if you need the service department or the body shop, if you got a fender bender and want to take it somewhere, that they do a tremendous job. That is at Cannon Ford of Starkville. Back with a final word here on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Yeah, welcome back, final segment of Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. You heard from Jamar Chaney. We talked to Jim Gallagher. And now, Charlie, we have a weekend off where we didn't think we were going to have a weekend off. But i tell you what, you look around the SEC, there are more games called off this weekend that are being played. Where's the season go from here? I mean, this is one of those situations where is it, is it a panic button time for the people
1: in Birmingham, or is this just kind of a, a bump in the road? It's going to be interesting to see, and then what will the impact be for our other sports, basketball, baseball. I actually have a theory, and I can't prove this because you just don't have access to the information that you need to know. But as you start to get into this football season, what is happening? Players who entered the season with high expectations for themselves or for their teams, a lot of them now are starting to see those expectations aren't going to be met. What's the easiest thing to do for some of them? Opt out. Opt out. Or let's party. Yeah. And if you go party, do you spread the virus? But, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how many many players on bad teams start to just kind of malinger a little bit, don't come back. Because there are two things. We tend to think of these as COVID shutdowns, and that's part of it. But there's other things impacting it. One, the guys who just opted out said, I'm not playing this year. So it's not that they're sick necessarily. It's just that they're not available. The second is injuries. And it just feels like we've got more injuries this year. Maybe we don't, but it just feels like we do. But when you add the opt-outs, the injuries, and all those things together, including the illnesses and the contact tracing, boy, uh, tough week to be uh, Greg Sankey.
2: And and you mentioned getting toward basketball and how basketball is going to be. I mean – we're in the process right now of getting ready for basketball, men's and women's basketball at Mississippi State. And so it's gonna be different a different feel in the hump. I mean, you're not going to have the courtside seats and you're not going to have, you know, the, the black seats around the lower bowl. I mean you have got seating in pods like we see at football games where it's only four people here and four people there and
1: So it'd be the Jim Hatfield era all over again is what you're telling me. <laughs> that's nineteen seventy nine again. That's exactly
2: <laughs> what I'm saying. And and so it's just there are gonna be different challenges and then you know, baseball's right around the corner. So, so bring
1: back the rubber court. Do you remember uh, that? Yes, I do. And there was a rubber court on that floor underneath. It's still there, I think, underneath the wood floor. With that it's road. not anymore. They oh, took it. it gone?
2: They took it up about five years ago. Okay. And so the rubber court was there when graduation. You Did know. you
1: get any of that? Did you get like a piece of the rubber court?
2: No, I didn't. I mean, the, really, the only thing I've really got a piece of that I probably shouldn't have was the goalpost against Florida, two thousand four, which was the last time we tore the goalpost down. And the reason it's the last time we tore the goalpost down is because the next week we put in those retractable goalposts. Yes. Do we and still I,
1: have those? I don't know, but it was funny because they started going out and letting down the goalpost. That's after, what I'm saying. like, routine <laughs> wins. You know, that there were 15 people in the stands. We're going to drop the goalpost. Middle Tennessee coach <laughs> yeah. walking
2: off the field going, what, what are they thinking? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you remember you remember how people used to oil up the goalpost? Yes. They would grease up the oil, the, the goalpost with,
1: like, all these oils and stuff. And But, boy, you, that, give some points for confidence, though. <laughs> when you start <laughs> to say – Guys, we're going to have a problem. We're about to win today, and people are going to be too excited.
2: Okay, what I need you to do, and work on the field crew. What I need you to do is before the game starts, I need you to get a big old bottle of Vaseline and get up on a ladder
1: and lather the goalpost. We don't want anybody tearing it down after we win here today.
2: (laughs) Hey, didn't didn't Spurrier say that in two thousand when we beat Florida? I don't. They're out there tearing down a goalpost. Don't know why we're not any good. Anyway, hey, good show today. Uh, Jim Gallagher Jr. was phenomenal, man. I tell you what, that guy, he he's a you pro. Hang with
1: that guy, couldn't you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I felt like I was sitting on the back porch, sitting on the back porch with a fire with that guy. And then you know, Jamar Chaney, man, I tell you, just uh, having him back at Mississippi State, great ambassador for 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 state, and was a tremendous linebacker. And it's great to see jamar and his family bag just really really good people so we've been brought to you by farm bureau go with a home team thanks to our sponsors once again cannon ford of startville nobody beats a cannon deal nobody country pleasing sausage down in the florence mississippi and of course our friends at farm bureau so for charlie winfield i'm park gregory we say so long you've been listening to out of left field presented by farm bureau